Good morning, good morning. You all are officially our most alive audience we've had all weekend, so thank you for being here. Uh, we had a great service last night at 6 and again this morning at 9, and uh, it's just an honor uh, to be here and look at this great crowd. Uh, thank you so much uh, for coming to church today. And um, I want to thank everyone who participated in the drive through Christmas tree lighting. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we were supposed to be there from 5 to 7. It went till 8 o'clock. Cars were backed up from Porter Valley on the freeway all the way to Tampa getting off to get in here and drive by that tree. Uh, it's lit every night, so you can come by and, and look at it if you weren't, weren't able to be here last Sunday night. But we had a lot of fun. And also, as we've been studying through this book of Nehemiah, we've had a life group uh, curriculum. And all the life groups, we've been collecting funds to provide Thanksgiving meals for foster care families. And Due to your generosity, we have raised enough money to provide 500 families with a Thanksgiving meal. So thank you for doing that. And uh, I need you to just, it was so good. The worship was so good today. Would you thank the worship team for me? They were so good. Oh, they were good. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the very last chapter of the book of Nehemiah. We've been studying through this book. And there's 13 chapters, and today we come to the final message, and uh, I'm, I'm trusting that you've enjoyed this series, amen? You've enjoyed this series. Now, before I get started, I have one thing to mention. My, I have two brothers. Most of you know my youngest brother. Uh, his name is David, and David preaches up in Fresno, California. And my dad, uh, when he was living, he was working with my brother for the last 20-plus years, up there in Fresno, and David has preached uh, for us several times here. But I have another brother that most of you have never met, and uh, his name is Dean or Dino, and he's the one uh, that has been battling bone marrow cancer for the last two or three years, and he's doing great. But my brother Dean is a chaplain in the Arizona State Prison in Stafford, Arizona, which is in the middle of nowhere. And uh, he works at what's called the Graham Unit inside the Arizona State Prison, and he's the chaplain there. And this week, my brother told me that the inmates there have been attending chapel, those who attend chapel, they have watched every one of the Nehemiah sermons. And he told me this as we go into this last message. I said, Dino, I want to give those guys a shout-out in church because they'll be watching this. And uh, there's several guys. There's a guy in there named Troy who uh, got in trouble when he was younger, and he's really turned his life around. And Troy has actually written me a letter uh, from prison, and I've, of course, written him back and stayed in touch with him. There's a guy in there named Dabs. There's a guy in there named Christian. There's another man, he's Native American, and they, and they, they call him uh, the doctor. And I don't know why, except maybe he's in charge of everything. But I want to give a shout-out to the doctor and to my brother and to all the inmates who are watching here today. I want to thank those guys. The book of Nehemiah would have been one of the greatest stories that have ever been told if it had ended at the end of chapter 12. 
The first 12 chapters of this book read like a Hollywood script. After 130, 150 years after Jerusalem had been destroyed, a Jewish slave who had never been to Jerusalem, but he had been born and raised in exile, rises to become a cupbearer for a heathen king of a heathen empire a thousand miles away. And one day this cupbearer, Nehemiah, he hears a report about how the walls back in Jerusalem are still lying in ruin after 130, 150 years and how the people are so discouraged. Nehemiah has enough courage to ask the heathen king, Artaxerxes, for permissions and for passports and for, for provisions to return to Jerusalem. Favor is granted. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, never been there before. First thing that he does is he surveys the walls and then he organizes the people. And then the, the story is that in 52 days, while facing strong opposition, he rebuilds those walls. The doors and the gates are set in place. The people return. They're overjoyed. God's word is brought forth. The people rejoice. They renew their vows, their covenant to the Lord God. The temple is restored. People renew their vows, and at the end of chapter 12, it ends with a time of worship. There are choirs walking on top of those walls, and the people are singing and celebrating and rejoicing. And we finished chapter 12 last week in verse 43 where it says that the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far, far away. That's how the story should have ended but sadly, there's a 13th chapter. Now, how many of you know about the, thir the number 13? It's like some people think it's an unlucky number. How many of you ever heard that? Well, in this story, the number 13 is not unlucky. The number 13 is sad. I'm going to tell you uh, what happens. I'm not going to go through the details of this 13th chapter. I'm going to give you a bird's eye view. I'll give you an outline, you can look at it, and then I want you to read it on your own time and go through all the details. But if you go back to chapters 9 and 10, the people living there in those walls made four vows or promises to God. This was back in chapters 9 and 10. How many of you would raise your hand to say at some point in your life you've made a promise to God of some sort? You made a vow to God of some sort. We've all done that. Well, back in chapters 9 and 10, I want you to write them all down. Just write them down at once. The people of God had made these four promises. One, they pledged to submit to God's word. That was the first thing they promised, to submit to this book. The second thing they made a vow was that they promised that they would live separate from the world, which is what we've all been called to do as Christians. We're to be different than the world. Can someone say Amen. The third promise they made was to keep the Sabbath, which is a big part of the Old Testament, to keep the Sabbath. And the fourth thing that they had agreed to was to support God's work. And of all of these vows, they are all good, they are all righteous, they are all pure, they are all loving, they were the right thing for them to do. And what happens as far as the timeline goes in chapters 9 and 10, the walls are rebuilt. They make these vows to an almighty God. 
In chapter 11, it tells you all the people that were there. The remnant is still intact. And then chapter 12, they have this worship service, which should have been the end of the story. They should have lived happily ever after. But something happens at the end of chapter 12. Nehemiah goes back to Persia. Everybody say, see you later, Nehemiah. Say that. Come on. Say, see you later. Nehemiah goes back to Persia. Now, if you remember, if you've been with us in chapter 2, when he had the courage to go to King Artaxerxes and ask for permission to go to Jerusalem and do all this, in chapter 2, verse 6, King Artaxerxes asked Nehemiah two questions. He said, how long will it take you and when will you be back? That was back in chapter 2. Well, after all the, the, uh, the walls are completed and the people are all there and they've all made vows and they've recommitted their lives to God, and after the worship service, Nehemiah, he keeps his promise to King Artaxerxes and he goes back to Persia. He's there for about 12 years. And while he's gone, and oh, it hurts me to tell you this, in 12 short years, while Nehemiah's in Persia, the people living in Judah, they backslide. They break all four of those commandments, those promises, those vows. And as you go through the 13th chapter, which we're not going to read. I'm going to let you do that on your own time. You can look at this list that I've given you. You can check them off one at a time. Check, 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 check. They break all four of these vows. They do not keep a single one of those four vows. So go back up to that box where they're all four listed. Forsake, they forsook God's word. If you remember back in chapter 8, the first time they brought the Bible, remember I stood up on that box and the guy, he just opened up, when he just opened it, everybody stood, and for six hours from 6 o'clock in the morning to 12 o'clock noon, they prayed and they worshiped and they shouted amen and amen and they raised their hands and they wept. You remember that? That was in chapter 8. And here we are in chapter 13. Now they're already ignoring it. They're disobeying it, cutting corners left and right. They have lost their reverence for the Word of God by the time you get to chapter 13. Then they made these vows to live separately from the world. You remember the three troublemakers through the whole book, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They fought. The enemies of God fought Nehemiah at every turn of this process. You remember those three guys? Well, by the time you get to chapter 13, one of those three guys, Tobiah, they actually let Tobiah, who was one of the enemies of God, set up a little apartment inside God's holy temple. And also in chapter 13, we find that they're intermarrying with the Ashdodites and the Ammonites and the Moabites, and God's people were to be set apart. They were not supposed to intermarry with people who did not believe in God. Then thirdly, they secularized the Sabbath. There's a long discourse in chapter 13 how the Sabbath was being violated. The Sabbath was important to keep because it, of course, belonged to the Lord, Nehemiah, if you read Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 18, he explains to the people that had broken the Sabbath, 
He said that was one of the reasons why you were carried off into exile to begin with is because you did not keep the Sabbath. And then fourthly, they failed in their responsibilities to bring in their tithes and their offerings. And again, that's common sense that God's people are the ones who are supposed to support God's work. I've asked you this question. If God's people do not support God's work, who's going to support God's work? And the answer is nobody. So in chapter 13, in summary, Nehemiah is granted permission a second time to return to Jerusalem And he makes that trek from Persia to Judah to fix these four problems. That's chapter 13 in a nutshell, and that's the entire story of the book of Nehemiah. Now, having studied all that for the last three months, I want us to take our our remaining time and look back at some of the most important lessons that we have learned looking back over this story in review. Are you with me? Here's the first lesson when I read the book of Nehemiah. Write this down. That ordinary people can do extraordinary things with God's blessing. Oh, that's a lesson when I read this story of this man. Nehemiah was a normal guy. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't some famous person. He was a slave. He was being held against his will. But he had a dream and he had a burden, and he had a thing called faith. Yes, he took some risk. Yes, he dreamed the impossible. But at the end of the day, he was a normal person, just like you and me. God can and will do great things through ordinary people like us. Can someone say amen? Even a simple person can be used mightily of God if you have a dream, if you believe, if you trust, if you walk in faith. Don't ever limit what a limitless God can do through you. The Bible says in Matthew 19, verse 26, that with God all things are possible. You know, we've looked at one story. Nehemiah is one story in the entire Bible. And the Bible cover to cover is a story after story after story. Oh, here's Nehemiah's story, and there's another story of another person in the Bible over and over again of simple people that God used to do some great things. You remember he used a teenage, just a teenage boy by the name of David to slay a giant by the name of Goliath. Well, God used an 80-year-old man. He's 80 years old. His name is Moses. He was 80, and Moses had a record, just so you know. But God used him to deliver 1.5 million Hebrew slaves out of Egypt into the land of Israel. Why, he used a backslidden sinner by the name of Jonah to lead a great revival in a city called Nineveh, which was one of the largest cities of that day. He used some illiterate fishermen to build his church that still exists today after 2,000 years. And God chose a peasant girl by the name of Mary to be the mother of his one and only son. Oh, I say to you, don't ever limit what God can and will do through anyone that is fully devoted to God. Can someone say amen? Number two, number two. Here's a second lesson I've learned for each of us. We all need to become people of prayer. This whole story is bathed in prayer. Every time you turn around, Nehemiah is praying. 
He prays in chapter 1, he prays in chapter 2, he prays in chapter 4, he prays in chapter 5, he prays in chapter 6, he prays in chapter 9, and if you read through chapter 13, he prays several times in chapter 13. Prayer is what brings God into the equation of whatever it is you're dealing with. Prayer uh, brings focus to whatever it is that you are burdened about. Prayer is what unlocks the power of Almighty God. Prayer, in essence, keeps your heart pure and moldable. Prayer is teaming up with God. Prayer is the difference between you being successful and failing. Become a person of prayer like Nehemiah. Even at the very end of this book, in chapter 13, the very last chapter and the very last verse and the very last line of Nehemiah, chapter 13, he prays a prayer. He says, remember me with favor, O my God, reminding all of us that no matter how great the task or how small the task, that everything we do, we should bathe it in prayer. And all God's people said, amen. Here's the third lesson I've learned as I've read through this book is we need to understand it is God's kingdom but we are all the worker bees. Oh, God's kingdom is so vast. God's kingdom is global. We, we really get so wrapped up in what's going on in our little world, but did you know that God's kingdom is all around this globe? But it functions, God's kingdom functions by all of us simple folk using whatever gift God has instilled in us and as I've read through this book, the lesson is clear that we are to climb up on that wall shoulder to shoulder and just be faithful to that which God has called you. Faithful, 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 faithful. I love chapter 3 that, tell, that told us all of the worker bees, all the people that stood up on that wall. And it says, and this guy stood next to this guy, and next to him was this person, and next to him was this person. And it lists all the worker bees. And I love, remember the guy in Nehemiah 3 verse 20, his name was Baruch, and he was the son of Zabbi, who zealously did his fair share. Oh, when I read that verse, I say, God, give us 10,000 Baruchs here at Shepherd Church. That's what we need. Oh, this is God's kingdom. This is God's church. There's plenty of opposition trying to keep us shut down. The question is, what is your role? What has God called you to do? What area of the church are you serving? What gifts have God put inside of you? Where are the worker bees? And we need to get to working. Can someone say amen? Let's, let's clap for that. Come on, come on, let's clap for that. Number four, number four, here's what, I, here's what I learned when I read through Nehemiah, is that anybody can quit. Anybody can quit. But joy comes to those who endure. We went through that entire book, and time and time again, Sambala, Tobiah, and Geshem tried to stop the work of God. And I love that text. I'll never forget it back in verse, uh, chapter 6, where four times those three guys said to Nehemiah, come down off that wall. And every time, Nehemiah responded the same. I am doing a good work. I cannot come down. That's the way we all need to be. 
There's an old adage, you might have heard it, that trouble comes in groups of three. You ever heard that line? Something bad happens, we go, mm, that's one. Something else bad happens, we go, oh, that's twice. And we know that that shoe is going to drop for the third time because trouble comes in groups of three. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but there's only one number three that I'm concerned about, and that's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I know as a believer that there's nothing that can derail me, there is nothing that can discourage me, there is nothing that can depress me if I am fully living out every moment of every day knowing that Jesus Christ lives inside of me. Because if God is for you, who can stand against you? I will never, ever, you'll never hear me tell you that it's easy to serve the Lord that it's easy to be a Christian. The Bible tells us just the opposite, that if you make a decision to serve the Lord, that it will be difficult, and it might cost you your family, it might cost you your job, and it might even cost you your life. But ultimately, it will be worth it. So stay faithful to the Lord, to whatever he's called you to do. Carry on that good work. God will never leave you or forsake you. Quitting is easy. Anybody can quit. Anybody, it's all, I can't tell you how many people over the years, as I've been here, how many people I've seen who've got upset at something and quit and went somewhere else, not knowing themselves that wherever they go, there's going to be problems there. They're just going to quit and go someplace else. But hanging in there when things get tough and not quitting is where the blessing happens. Number five, number five, here's what I learned when I read this book, that we need to get out of our comfort zone. Most of us are way too comfortable with our life of faith. We tend to default to what is predictable and to what is easy. God wants all of us to be available to him. And wherever and whenever he leads you to do anything or to do something that stretches you, something that gets you out of your comfort zone, like the Nike slogan, you need to just do it. Nehemiah was a slave back in Nehemiah chapter 2, and yet he had this, this something in him that made him want to go to this heathen king. It, and ask him if he could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild these walls. Why, the question itself could have cost him his job. It certainly could have cost him his life. But he asked that heathen king anyway to do something that would ultimately bring glory to God. And God granted him favor and God granted him blessing. And all I say to you is when I look at Nehemiah and I look at us, most of us are just way too comfortable with where we are in life. And I would ask you, in every area of your life, get out of your comfort zone and learn how to walk in faith. Whether it's sharing your faith, whether it's in your giving, whether it's in your volunteering, hosting a life group, maybe just in your commitment, your walk with God, Move out of your comfort zone and learn to walk in faith like Nehemiah, one of the most important lessons of our study. I have two lessons left, 
lesson six and seven, and I will tell you that these last two points are the most important lessons in the entire book of Nehemiah, hands down. Both of these are vital, and both of them are connected to each other. Number six of the top lessons of this book, never underestimate the consequences of sin. Never underestimate the consequences of sin. We would be foolish to study this book and not learn this lesson. I want to take you back to some dates on your uh, timeline here, and these aren't in your notes. We've been looking at this time period around 586 B.C., which was when King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem. That, That took place in 586, and then the Jews were carried off into captivity where they were held for 130, 150 years, and that's when Nehemiah uh, came up and where God allowed the Jews to start coming back. But there was another exile in the year 733 B.C. I want to explain that to you just to give you a little bit of context. But at that time, Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. It was still Israel, but there was a north and a south. And the north was, was basically Samaria, and the south was basically Judah. That's where Jerusalem was. Well, in the year 733, things were so bad that God allowed the Assyrians to come in, and they, they took all the Jews living in northern Israel. They conquered them, and they carried them, they carried them back to Assyria. They, there was already one exile back in 733 B.C. Now, you were in Judah at the time, and you saw all that. You would think, well, we better start following God because if, if it could happen to them, it could happen to us. And you know what? It did happen to them. King Nebuchadnezzar, under the judgment of God, did come to Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city. They destroyed all the walls. They carried the Jews into captivity a 1,000 miles away. What we've been reading about here is 130, 150 years later, where through the, and you can read the book of Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah, where God finally, you know, he, he, because of his grace, he allows the Jews to come back once again to Jerusalem and rebuild this city, rebuild the temple, and rebuild these walls. We're looking at the, at the grace of God in the book of Nehemiah. And we've seen, you've been here, they, they made these vows before God and they committed to follow God and, and to, to, to renew their covenant with God. And so everything was good. But what happens eventually, and we've already seen it in those 12 years that Nehemiah was gone, they began to backslide and things got so bad. It was eventually in 70 AD where the Romans came and completely destroyed uh, Israel again, Jerusalem again. And And the Jews were dispersed in 70 A.D. all around the world, and they were gone for 2,000 years. And it's just been in our lifetime back in May of 1948 where Israel was once again reestablished, and God said, okay, it's time to come on back. And so today we look at Jerusalem. After 2,000 years, they were dispersed after the destruction in 70 A.D., And the point I want to make, uh, if you study this book in context, do not walk away without remembering why those walls were destroyed in the first place. Jerusalem was destroyed. The Jews were in exile. The walls were down. The, the, The enemies of God had the upper hand. All of it was because of sin, because the people had disobeyed God, and God had warned them over and over again, and finally God said, that's enough. And so... Here we have this 13th chapter, 
They have backslidden again. And I just want you to know that it's easy to backslide. It's like putting air in your tire and you put that little cap on there and you let it go. Just several months later, the air seeps out of that tire. Just, it just happens. And it's why you and I need to get up every day and renew our commitment and our love and our devotion to the Lord God. And we have to be careful. Daniel 2, we looked at this. He, God, is the one that changes the times and the seasons, and he sets up kings, and he disposes of them, and he changes kings and kingdoms like you change a pair of socks. I look at the United States of America. In light of this study in Nehemiah, we are so prideful as a nation that we act like we don't need God. We are so sinful as a nation. As a nation, we call evil good. And those things that are good, we call evil. We now live right now, I'm standing in a day and age where liquor stores and abortion clinics and casinos and now strip clubs have been deemed essential businesses. And the church where I pastor has been deemed non-essential. I'm living, I'm living in that day and age. And really, there's only two possibilities. One, we continue to drift further and further away from God as a nation, and God will ultimately destroy this nation. Or the second option is that we all return to godly principles, and that's what's called revival. It's one or the other. Don't think for a moment that America can't fall. It might be happening before our very eyes. I could prove to you, and I, God burdened this on my heart, and I, I, I just knew that I would not have time in this message, but I will in a future message. But I could prove to you scripturally, because of the shedding of innocent blood, and the million babies that are aborted every single year in this country. And because of our culture that has become more and more godless, and because of the indifference to sin, and because we call evil good and good evil, and a list of other things, I could show you scripturally that as a nation, we are already living under a curse. Don't ever forget our God is a great and holy God. We are grateful for the way that he continues to grace us and to sustain us, but God will not be mocked. And we as a nation, we as a nation will reap what we have sown. The church in America, those who, of us who call ourselves Christian, we should stay on our knees in prayer and be humble and be devoted and be committed to living holy lives. Do not let sin creep into your life. Do not let sin creep into your heart. 
Do not let sin creep into your family. Do not let sin creep into your church. Do not let sin creep into your body. That's what I learned when I read through the book of Nehemiah. And number seven, the last point as we close, and the most important lesson in the entire book of Nehemiah, that is we should always stand on the word of God. We should stand on the word of God. Interwoven through this book is that everything rises and falls with the people of God following the word of God. All the work that we do here at Shepherd Church is in complete vain if we as a church neglect the Word of God. I believe that the main reason why God's hand of blessing is upon this church is not because we are politically correct, but because we are biblically correct. Rabbi Zacharias, who recently went to be with the Lord, in his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, he tells about the hazards that plagued the climbers in their expedition to Mount Everest during the spring of 1996. That year, a group of climbers attempting to reach the summit resulted in loss of life. One of those who died was a man by the name of Andy Harris. Andy Harris was one of the seasoned leaders of that expedition. Harris had stayed at the peak past the deadline, and on his way down the mountain, he was in dire need of oxygen, and Harris radioed the base camp to describe his predicament. He had come upon a cachet of oxygen canisters left by the other climbers, but he told base camp that they were all empty. However, those who had passed by the canisters on their own return from the summit knew that they were not empty, but that they were full. So they pleaded with Andy Harris to make use of the canisters, but he wouldn't listen to them. Already starved for oxygen, Harris continued to argue that the canisters were empty. The lack of oxygen so disoriented his mind that he continued to complain of its absence even though he was surrounded by a restoring supply. The very thing that he held in his hand was absent in his brain and ravaged his capacity to recognize the truth, killing him in the end. That describes so many people in our country today their brains lacking life-giving oxygen of God's Word. It's killing them even though almost every household in our country has a Bible inside their house. There are thousands of Christian radio and television programs that play over the airways and on the internet every single day in this country. The Bible is preached, the Bible is taught, the Bible is communicated, yet people do not recognize its power to save. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. 
James 1.21 says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. If our nation is ever to be restored, it won't be because of a vaccine. It will not happen because of a political party. It will happen because God's Word is preached and taught and studied and obeyed, and only God's Word can change the downward trajectory of our nation, this book. Let's all stand. September 10th, the year 2020. That was about three months ago. That's when we started this series. It was about three months ago, September. But on September 10th, the year 2020, a man in this church died. He was 100 years old. His name was Ray Cronkrite. Ray Cronkrite was born in September, the year 1920. Lived to be 100. For 50 of those 100 years, Ray Cronkrite was an elder in this church. I want you to think about that. A man lived to be 100 years old, and for half of those years, for 50 of those 100 years, he worked in this church. He was one of the guys that hired me when I came here like 35 years ago. And we, he has served on the board the last 30, 35 years. And uh, one of the quietest, godliest people I have ever known. I would not be standing here had it not been for him being a part of the leadership of this church for those 50 years and in meetings that I've held with him uh, in our board meetings for the last 30 plus years. Never, never heard a single negative word ever come out of his mouth in, in all the years that he served here. Just a humble guy, served God. And right when we were starting this series, he, he, he went to glory. When he died, they found him, 100 years old. He was sitting in his favorite chair, reading his Bible. And God called him home. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the way to live your life. That, that's the way to live a long life serving God in the church, using your gifts and talents day in and day out, building everything in your life on God's precious word and being 100 years old sitting in your favorite chair underneath your favorite light just reading the word of God. And one moment you're here, the next moment you're in glory. That's the way to go. Let's pray.
God, thank you for today. Thank you for this study. Thank you for this series. May we never forget some of these lessons that we've learned. It's, it's very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, 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 it can be discouraging to think that we've studied this book and now we're just going to put it, we're going to put the book of Nehemiah back up on the shelf instead of studying it and really having life transformation take place. Lord, I hope that this story came alive for this church these last few months. Thank you for people like Nehemiah and thank you for people like Ray Cronkite who just got up every day and even though God whatever you called them to do might have stretched them a little bit beyond their comfort level. They were just willing to do whatever it is that you called them to do. Lord, all over this room, I pray that we would remember all of these lessons and that all of it would fall back to just the importance of the people of God honoring and following the Word of God. God, we look forward to the next few weeks. We'll head off into Thanksgiving and then the Christmas season. We've got a big event for the foster care children, Christmas Eve services, and then we'll have a new year. But for these next few weeks, we just want to continue to focus, God, on your kingdom and uh, your blessing. And I pray for every man and every woman and every boy and every girl who's here that your hand of blessing would be upon them, God. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.